the Bible, we'd love for you to take it out. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you, in your chair or under your chair. There'll be some uh, slides as well. But we, last week, began a study in the book of Genesis. And so we're just going to walk it out. How long is it going to take us? I have no idea. All right, we're going to gap it for Christmas, and we'll, we'll kind of do a Christmas Advent series, and we'll do a little bit of an Easter series as well. Uh, but we really just began last week working through Genesis. And Genesis really is, I think, the foundational book to the rest of the Scriptures. Uh, it's, it's a starting point, right? Genesis means origin, and it's the beginning. So at Genesis, the very first book in your Bible that you would come to, is just that. It is the beginning. And Genesis, I think, is pivotal because how you read Genesis will be how you read the rest of the Bible. Meaning, if Genesis is just a fairy tale story, I'm going to go ahead and presume you'll read the rest of the Bible like a fairy tale. And if Genesis is is actually potentially accurate and literal in what it might be talking about, then it will actually help you read the rest of the Bible accurately and with some literate content to it. In other words, how you understand God based out of Genesis and see him working and, and decreeing all things, or how you understand humanity and their interaction with God, or, or how you understand creation and his purposes, or how you see the words of God and his promises, all those things actually begin in Genesis. It actually begins in the very beginning. And I even said last week, if you're here, if you remember, I get really nervous when I start hearing phrases like, I just feel. We're actually working on this with one of our, our kids. He tends to be very, I feel, driven. Where we just stop and say, hold on, are you talking about something your emotions are telling you right now? Or do you want to have a conversation about a, a topic of opinion right now? Because those are different things. Right? And so a statement like, I think, tells me that one of my kids has put some thought behind this conversation that we're going to have. Not just your immediate emotional rejection to what's for supper. All right? And so the same thing is true in Scripture. If we begin by saying, I, well, I just feel like God wouldn't do that, the first question to ask back to you should be, well, what do you base that off of? And if you and I can't run to the Scriptures, the Bible, to say, well, I, here in Genesis or here in Joshua or here in Mark, it tells me. If it's just, I, oh, my life has taught me, well, okay, that, that does, it's a place to begin, but what's greater truth that reigns over your life? I believe Genesis is so helpful in helping us discern those things. See, my hope is this, that, that really through teaching through and working through Genesis together, that you and I might develop a, a solid vantage point or worldview that we filter all of life through. I don't think Genesis is just kind of reserved as a history book. I think Genesis has direct application to your life and to my life today. Because I think that the God of creation continues to work and move among his creation. I think God wants to be known just like he was known in Genesis. God's not this mythical being that's been reduced, that people just kind of need now. But, you know, nowadays we have technology. We don't need God anymore. We've evolved. We don't need God anymore. We're more enlightened. We don't need God anymore. No. And the God of Genesis is very accurate to who God continues to be because God is consistent. See, Genesis, if you know just a little bit about it, you might know that in Genesis, God begins with creating things. And I would submit that God actually still continues to create things new. And he's still doing that. It's not just something he reserved for thousands of years ago, but he still does it today. And he continues to live and he's active and he's, he's making new life all the time. Right? Human life, when he brings someone to relationship with him, that's a newness to that life. So can you tell me, if you were here last week, 
what is a, kind of the, the three-word theme of, of Genesis? It's kind of jog memory. It was a slide even. Okay, that was the big thing. Close, yes. Creation, sin, recreation. Kind of the theme that you'll keep kind of wrapping around in Genesis over and over is this idea of creation and then sin or brokenness or, or kind of waywardness away from God and his plan, his design, and then recreation. And you'll see it again and again and again. And this week specifically, we're going to talk about the creation section. We're going to cover a big portion of Scripture this morning. If you got our, our weekly email, if you get that, you'll you maybe have a heads up on this, what's happening. We're going to look at really the entire six days of creation in one Sunday morning. And it's going to be okay. And you won't be here till like three in the afternoon, all right? We're going to get through this. See, Genesis 1.1, if you remember, it began with this phrase, in the beginning. And really, I think Genesis 1.1 is helping you and me ask the question, who do you and I understand God to be? So, so when you think, who is God? What, don't answer this, but just kind of think about what the words that come into your mind. He is this, 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 that. He does these things, doesn't do these things. And is this the God that you know or the, or the God that's been defined by someone else? That's a question that you need to ask yourself. Is this God that you think of in your brain? This is a creation of modern writings and bestseller books, or is it established on something different, perhaps even the Bible? See, I would submit that God has been established before that time began. Before all things, God was present. And how do I get confidence in that? Genesis 1-1 tells me. In the beginning, God. Now, one hurdle that you have, just like me, is this. You're human, and you exist in a world of time. So I know beginnings, right? And I I just know them from four simple ways in my life. I've got four kids. So at one point, I had no kids. And I had one and then two. We actually talked about this this morning, right? How life has just changed drastically with each additional hurdle, child, right? (laughs) Right? But those are beginning points. So we all think of those things, right? You, You set your clocks back. You think in relationship to time. You even do that in the terms of just humanity, life and death. And so I, I just was really honest with you. Last week, I think, for me anyway, sometimes it's hard to think of God before everything else. God was there. Well, what was that like? Well, I don't know. And we don't know. And so, yeah, this does take a little bit of faith to walk out here. But, but I trust the Scripture is reliable in this. And so, in the beginning, God. And just that phrase, in the beginning, God, begins with giving God supremacy. I can't say that in the beginning, Nate, that doesn't allow that to happen. But in the beginning, God, Nate's my name in case you're trying to figure out why I just said that. All right? But in the beginning, God. God alone holds that title. It's his, one of his primary characteristics. I think it's one of the primary things that gets to establish him as glorious. Because he alone is entitled to that phrase, in the beginning. And so what that tells you and me is this, that when God speaks or acts or instructs, we we should listen. We should listen. Because he was there before it all. And we should, it's like, right, my my dad's 70-something. He's 76. His birthday was his last week. I should probably listen when he tells me things. Because he doesn't talk to me as a boy anymore. 
He talks as as another adult human being. And now it's more advice and wisdom that I'm gleaning. Well, why would that make sense? Because God... Because God has established him as a, as a figure in my life that, that has gone before me. Here, God is that same way. When he acts or speaks or instructs, we should listen. So kind of with that backdrop in mind, just sent us up from last week, right? Genesis now moves into the details of creation. And so I think there's a question that we can ask right before we even get started. Does creation help reveal anything that you and I might be missing today? By looking at creation, will anything be revealed that you and I might be missing that that perhaps is supposed to be part of our lives? Or is this just a story that's meant to give us some sort of background? That's a question that I want you to kind of be thinking of, and maybe some of you have like a pondering look on your face. And so what I mean is this. Is the narrative of creation, the grand story of creation that we'll talk about here in a few minutes, actually meant to kind of speak truth into your life? And not just truth from a this happened and this happened, historical, but a truth that's meant to kind of play out how you do your life, how you walk through your day today and tomorrow, how you go to work tomorrow, what kind of neighbor you are, what kind of spouse you are, what kind of parent you are. Is creation actually supposed to impact life? And if so, are you missing that? I think we'll get to the answer to that question later on. We're not going to read through the whole narrative this morning, okay? But I'm hoping that this video that we're going to watch right now will help kind of just give big picture stuff of what went on through creation. In the beginning, nothing existed except for God. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth had no shape, and darkness covered the earth. The Spirit of God was there, hovering over the waters. God spoke. Let there be light. What God said happened. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Evening came, and then morning came. That was the first day. God spoke again. Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate them. What God said happened. He made a space between the water that was on the earth and the water above the earth. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning came. That was the second day. God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. What God said happened. God called the dry land earth, and he called the gathered water seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth make plants and trees with fruits and seeds. What God said happened. Plants and trees grew, and God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning came. That was the third day. Next, God placed lights in the sky, 
God created the sun to shine during the day and the moon and stars to shine at night. God gave us lights to shine on the earth, to separate day from night, and to help us track time in days and years. God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning came. That was the fourth day. Next, God made creatures that move and swim in the water. He made birds to flap their wings and soar across the sky. God saw that it was good. God told the animals to multiply, and they filled the seas and the sky. Evening came, and then morning came. That was the fifth day. Then God made more animals, livestock, creatures that crawl in wildlife to live on the earth. When God said it, it happened, and God saw that all of it was good. Jesus is the Lord over all of creation. The Son has always existed. The Bible says everything was created by Him and for Him, and He holds everything together. All of creation exists to bring God glory. Because it didn't get all the way through it. There's a point to that. That's next week. That is a quick summary of the creation account. See, as God begins to create the earth, I think it's worth noting a few quick things, right? First off, fascinating how there was not a single noise for the last three minutes in here, right? But secondly, listen, when God begins to create, what did you notice? didn't say he looked back or he looked across the sky and, and saw the other universes that are out there and created based off what he had seen. But no, God creates out of nothing. See, when God creates, there's no prerequisites. There's nothing that's been identified as good or not as good. When God begins to create, what we see is that, that God creates and he orchestrates in the exact order that he intends for these things to happen. And when he gets done, he gives them the label as being good. And he does so because God is the one who created those things. So as God created them, he because he is their creator. If you remember last week I said, whenever you read the Bible, you should ask yourself a few questions. One of them was, what does this passage say about God? And so what you can begin to kind of pull out of this is that when God created, it was good because he created it and said it was good. Therefore, perhaps God is what? good. We begin to see that being communicated out of this passage. As God speaks, again, he's not creating with with abstract art that's open to interpretation. As God begins to create, God is intentional, and God is creating exactly what he intended to create. Now, before we jump into really the created order, I want to quickly kind of work through just some existing theories on the topic of creation. Because what I grew up with was this, just this kind of fundamentalist thought on creation. And if you didn't land in this kind of area of what you think of the theory of creation, then you're wrong. And I actually think that's very divisive within the church. I think we can actually have some open discussion 
not today, but just in general, about perhaps different theories that exist when it comes to the creation of the cosmos, earth, and human life. I think that Christians become very defensive as if you're attacking kind of our own personal identity if we begin to say, hey, maybe it wasn't actually 24 hours for each day. You think, you're a heretic. You got to... And I think that there's danger if you're going to go down that road, actually. I'm willing to call someone a heretic for not landing there. Because though you may be able to base a, a fairly solid argument for that view, you can't point to me the chapter and verse that says, this is how it was. And so if you can't do that, if I can't do that, then I, then I have to be willing to open my hand a little bit for conversations. And so my goal today is kind of just to lay out theories. I'm not going to defend them. I'm not going to back any one of them specifically. But I think it's good for you and I to know them, to know that these things exist, and then for you to search the Scriptures, to press in and say, hey, man, what does the Bible actually point to? Very quickly, just six, and there actually are many more. These are six kind of larger theories that exist. First off, this is just simple, the evolutionary process, right? Many would just call it the Big Bang. That in the beginning, it was a cosmic explosion that creates the right elements of life. Out of those life then begins this long process of cell multiplication that eventually forms this living thing that can somehow then regenerate and multiply. And through this evolutionary process, it, it moves forward constantly, works out of cell formation to mass cells and then brains, and then continues to evolve and develop eventually into what we have today. This process is not an immediate process. It's a long process over millions, if not billions of years. Okay? That's a theory. Search the Bible. Press into it. Next one, theistic evolution. The theory that God really just kind of jumpstarts all of life. Right? He sets things into motion. He begins them. Then he kind of sets it off and running. And then things will begin to develop and evolve based off of that. There's kind of varied theories here at which point God took his hand off the project and how long things may have taken within this view. All right? I should have said this at the very beginning. I'm not an expert in this category, so I'm not interested in debating with you today. I'm just going to give you bullet points, okay? So that was theistic evolution. Let me say this. I think that the church, as Christians, you need to stop reeling when you hear the word evolution. Right? The word evolve is not of the devil, okay? Because things adapt and change all the time. But often as Christians, we're comfortable saying the word adapt versus something might evolve. Relax. We can say the word evolve here. It's going to be okay. All right? I just want to create a culture where conversations can happen. Number three, the gap theory. This is a theory that there was an original earth. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then somehow, someplace, some form, some would say God and the devil even, got into this thing, a catastrophic event takes place. Okay, this is Genesis 1-2, when it says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. They say there's a gap of time, actually, this, this thing happened. But then it moves on into 1-3, when then a restoration process begins, and that's throughout the rest of creation. And God said, let there be light. So a gap theory. Trying to create a gap, Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, and 1, 3. This is gaps of time in here. Number four, the day-age theory. 
that each day of creation is an age or an era. All right? The Hebrew word for day, yom, means one of two things, 24 hours or an indeterminate duration of time. So this lengthens the time frame that creation goes from perhaps 24-hour day period to day, era, ages. Some suggest that there even is a gap between the a.m. and p.m. on the sixth day, perhaps. Okay, that's the day-age theory. Number five, the apparent age theory. Simply, it's that the earth appears to be old. God makes the earth to appear to be old. This is an attempt to help, I think, give credibility to science's system of dating, things at older ages. Support for this would be that Adam and Eve were created as what? Adults. There's no indication that Adam and Eve were created as infants that somehow self-sustained and then grew up. But they're created as adults. And so perhaps, could it be that God made the earth to appear to be much older than it was? Lastly, number six, a 24-hour theory. That God creates the earth in six literal 24-hour days. Support for this, this is just the phrases, there was morning and there was night. Right? In this case, Genesis 1-1 is not a summary statement. It's a beginning statement. Potential issues with this one are that day one and four, they actually reoccur and kind of disrupt the chronological reading of Genesis. Right? Did you notice that what I put after each of those phrases was what word? Theory. They're theories. Because you and I weren't there. And so, as people looking at the scriptures, in most cases, not all cases of these six theories, and trying to figure it out. Humans are thinking and they're wondering, and what do they have? They have a desire to know and to understand and the search for answers. And I think this actually has caused a lot of healthy thinking. It's also been disastrous at the same time, with some conclusions, both inside and outside the church, just in general. Thinking is not bad. But what conclusions and what you allow to determine your conclusions can be catastrophic. Again, my goal is not to convince you of one theory over the other today. I just want to encourage you to consider the options, consider the evidence, and where does it point you to? Where does it point you to? I would submit that if we're starting with the scriptures as a point of reference, then we have to go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Because despite where you might land on any one of those theories, right, in the beginning, before that even, God. Let's just go back to that launching point. God. God, again, not created, not conjured up, has always been. And then what did he do? He created the heavens and the earth. So no matter the theory now, you have to start thinking through these things. So God is present, and now God is involved. He's intimately involved in the creation of the world. So what does this tell us? It tells us that God is not distant from creation. Excuse me. If God is involved in the creation of things, then he is not distant from the creation of these things. So God is involved in creation. He is not distant. He, I would say, is actually intimately involved in the creation of them. I think it's important to note the reliability of the Bible has been tested over time. 
It's been proven from a historical perspective as well. And so we can have confidence now as we're about to walk through this first chapter of Genesis that the words are true, the words are sure, and they can be trusted. So what we're about to walk through is not theory. I think this is very clear that God was involved in the creation, that he had his hand, he had his intent, he had his purposes. So let's just quickly summarize this. Right? Let me just remind you, day one, the earth is somehow formed, light and, and uh, darkness are separated. Day two, now there's expanse. Sorry, this is when earth and, and heaven are separated. There's a sky comes into it, right? Waters are there as beforehand. The Spirit's hovering. The sky is introduced. Day two, day three. Now we have land and sea, tree, vegetation. Vegetation begins to go. Day four, lights in the sky. They have purpose. They show seasons and years, it tells us. Uh, There's a greater and lesser that are mentioned, kind of the, the sun and the moon to govern. There's stars being created. Day five, there's creatures now in the earth and the water and the sky. Day six, all right, uh, more creatures, more animals, and then humanity. Day five, when creatures were created, they were given the instruction, be fruitful and multiply. And then every single day of creation, except for day six, ended with what phrase? And it was good. And so we get into this discovery and we look at it and we understand it more to be that as God goes through this entire account, what we understand is that what he has created and established was good. Again, we said it is good because he himself created it. It came from him and his design and his purposes. It wasn't chaotic. It wasn't without uh, thought, but no, it's, it's worth stopping here. And as each day was good, we remind ourselves that perhaps then what we still have around us actually has maybe some good in it. Everything functioned as God intended for it to function in that moment of creation. It was all with amazing perfection because God had created it. There was peace on the earth. And animals lived in harmony with each other. If you were to look just for a moment, verse 29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree and seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. The lion ate grass. The wolf munched on trees and fruit. Plant was given to be the source of food for every created thing because there was peace. There was harmony. And even to some extent, we can't even picture that. Like, I don't understand what a lion would want to just chew on a plant leaf. But that's what it was, that was what it was supposed to be like. And then as God moves towards the end of this creation process... He begins with a final creation that is distinct from the rest. Verse 27, chapter 1 tells us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And now we see really the pinnacle of God's creation. Humanity is created. 
Humanity distinct and unique. They're created. And they alone are given a label as being made in God's image. No other part of creation has that characteristic. No animal has that assigned to them. No creeping thing, no flying thing, no swimming thing has that given to them. But humanity alone has said they were made in God's image. And so you and I should pause for a moment and ask ourselves, what does that mean? What does that mean? So humanity, male and female, made in the image of God, they're told to have dominion over the earth. Fascinating, I think, that we just stop for a moment. They're made in our image, what the Scripture tells us. What does that first mean? Our would imply what? Plural. More than one. And so there's a theory that says, perhaps God's talking to the angels. Angels are surrounding God. We know they worship him. Maybe he's talking to the angels. The problem with that theory is the angels have nothing to do with the creation account. They didn't play a role as far as we know. God didn't say, bring that star over there, move it a little bit to the left, perfect. So we can begin to infer this language is actually some Trinity language, Father, Son, and Spirit language being referred to here. See, humanity in God's creative order is given the responsibility and authority to rule the earth as God's representatives. This is beginning to formulate what makes them unique. Beyond appearance, beyond ability to think, they are given responsibility. They are to represent their creator as they live, as they make decisions, as they govern the earth. They are to reflect God's goodness and his character and his nature. Humanity was given that. That mandate. Because don't forget, the creatures were also told to multiply. Right? So this really is the unique thing that begins to separate them out as in God's image. I believe one of those pieces is they are to represent God as they live and move and breathe on the earth. Some would connect that humanity is made in relationship. It says they made them male and female. So perhaps being made in God's image is also that we're meant to live in a relationship with each other. That we're meant to live and to function in, in good and healthy relationships as God does. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They, they work in perfect unity with each other. Some would say that, that if you made in God's image, it, it seems to consistently point to the fact that humans have capacities that set them apart from everything else that's been created. For example, we have the ability to reason, we have morality and language, a capability for relationships, that you and I are governed by love and commitment, and then creativity comes out in all different aspects of life. Perhaps that's what it means to be made in God's image. And I would suggest the answer is yes, yes, and probably more things than we even know of what it means to be made in God's image. See, the reality is that that in this created order, humanity is formed, that you and I, I believe, are still carrying this on as being made in God's image, that we are distinct and unique. These first humans, which we'll next week know as Adam and Eve, they are made in God's image. They have unique characteristics that are there to reflect God in all 
things. They're meant to carry out his marking into every single aspect of life on this new planet called earth. And their role is significant. Verse 28 tells us, God blessed them and and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Humanity alone is told to have dominion. Humanity alone is told to, to rule and to act wisely over creation, to use its resources for betterment, to help the creation thrive. Humanity alone was given that task. And so maybe you know how the story plays out. Maybe you know that pretty soon this whole uh, humanity and perfect thing is going to get broken. But I think you and I have to ask ourselves, um, what was broken though? Meaning, what part was this part broken? Or are you and I still made in the image of God? And I would submit, yes, I think humans still bear that marking of being distinct and uniquely made in God's image. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. The scriptures tell us that that God knows our days before we're even taking our first breath. He knows them all. Scripture says, God knows how many hairs or perhaps lack of hair is on your head. Scripture says, look, God cares about the sparrow, the bird. How much more do you think he cares about you? And I can't help but think, that's happening because I'm not a lion. And I'm not a cat. I'm not a fish. I think that is happening because I'm made in God's image. And you're made in God's image and he cares intimately about you and i fear that some of you have never been told that before you've never been told that god cares about you and i'm sorry that's not happened in your life but you need to hear what god says in his word that god does care about you because you're unique distinctly made god cares about you you're made god's image he cares about you And yes, we'll see over the next coming weeks that this creation and this, this marking really is put to the test and <coughs> creation tends to choose poorly and dire consequences take place. But from the outset, humanity, you, you're beautifully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. As God goes on to complete this creation process, we're told that he rests. And you've heard, perhaps, if you've been on the church, at least I have anyway, see, you should rest, because even God had to rest. And someone lied to you when they used that for their justification. God did not rest because he was tired. God does not get tired. He's all-powerful. You can't, you can't prove that from the Bible anywhere. God does not rest because he's weary. He does not rest because he had to figure it all out and how to make it all happen, make it work together. There's never any indication that actually it was even work. I think God delighted in this creation. I think it came actually very seamlessly and smooth for him. I think he wondered, man, what would it look like to have that thing created? 
that could just change its colors to match its surroundings. This chameleon gets created. It doesn't sound exhausting. It sounds exciting. God rests not because he's exhausted, but because this earth was intended to be a dwelling place. Earth was intended to be a place where God would dwell with his humanity. And so God rests now because he'd be present, able to rest in this new earth that he had just completed. And his resting here is actually giving blessing to the creation that he just created. That's why he rests, to bless this. Later on, you'll hear in Genesis chapter 3 that as God was walking through the garden, because he dwells, he lives amongst this creation. And so as we kind of come to this, look, I know that I'm going fast, I'm just summarizing, but again, you don't want to be here until 3 in the afternoon. So we have to ask the question, what are we supposed to do with all of this? This creation account long ago before you and I were ever on this earth, what should we do with this? Is this just a fairy tale teaching? Is this supposed to be evidence here in Genesis was? What about science? Well, I think Genesis is a scientific account. In that, it provides a true account of the origin of the universe. But I also don't believe that that it's meant to be a detailed account and used to link modern science. I don't think that's the point. Creation is designed to operate here as a framework for us. Genesis 1 is a framework for us. It's meant to impact how you and I view life, how we view our lives and those lives around us. See, the earth was created to be enjoyed. When God created, he created earth to be enjoyed. And I was convicted, just kind of getting ready for this morning, like, like, oh, man, yesterday Kim and Christina had a craft show in Dover, so I had all the boys with me, and I had like these ideas of just cool things outside, and we watched a movie um, instead. <laughs> I mean, I like Black Panther, so that's what we watched. And that's fine in and of itself, but I thought, you know what, man, I should have, like, we could have just gone outside. And I kind of struggle with this, that God created his world to be enjoyed. And not just creation, but people. People all around you have intrinsic value. They're meant to be enjoyed. You might not like hearing this, some of you. You're supposed to know people outside of your home. Oh, I have to. It's painful. It's work. I know. But that's what we're created for. Man, we're created to know people. We're created to know our Heavenly Father. We're created to know people. We're created to enjoy the earth that He's given us. Well, why? Specifically people? Because they have value. Because they're made in God's image. From the unborn child to the individual with disabilities and challenges be it physical or emotional or mental, they all, these people, have value. A disability does not make someone less valuable. That doesn't disqualify anybody from value. To the aged adults, to the infant, that can, both of them can't feed themselves, but they both have value. See, I think this creation account is meant to help you and me to open our eyes to the life around us. And simply ask that question we began with. 
what am I missing? I think creation is a historical account of what went on so we know where we came from and we know that before all things was God. But I don't think it stops there. I think it goes beyond that and messes with our heads and causes some struggling. We begin to look at people, ask ourselves questions about life and say, what is this whole thing about? What am I missing? See, the reality is much of our modern lives, man, they are complex. It's complex. Kim and I talked this morning. My wife Kim and I were talking this morning just saying, like, I don't think to use the word how, you know, things are busy. It's just normal. We're, we're all busy to, to one degree or another. Why is that? Because life is complex. But in that complexity, are we missing anything? So kind of sit on this question. What are you missing in life? Perhaps it's you don't even know the creator. You're, you're missing your heavenly father who loves you so much, who gave his son for you. That your sins could be forgiven, you can be restored in relationship with him and have eternal life. Maybe that's what you're missing. Perhaps God's not even part of your life and you're simply missing the day-to-day living with your creator. But maybe he is part of your life. And so maybe you're just missing a simple acknowledgement that God is there every day interacting with you, working in your life. Maybe you're missing that, that what he's done for you on the cross and you're forgetting those things, you're just kind of going through your day. Your, your Monday's already lined up. And, and God was never considered of being asked, what do you want me to do today, God? Maybe God's an add-on. See, God's creation, it, it's magnificent. See, I think it's meant, this whole account is meant to bring us to understanding that God created with purpose. He created with purpose, and he created with care. And that purpose and care that he masterfully created all things, including humanity with, he continues to have towards us. I can't help but think when humanity is the only thing created in God's image that he wouldn't continue to care for us, perhaps even more than the other things. And as he's done that, he's beginning to weep and to sow and to tear and to work and to make us laugh and cry and all these experience and emotions so that we might know him in a greater and deeper way and then continue to go back to him and say, man, I'm creating your image. I'm creating your image. I'm creating your image. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So how does that impact your life? Have you struggled with that? I don't even know. Talk about this whole day-age theory thing I never even knew about. I'm not sure what to do with this thing now. Search the scriptures. Let me offer you some suggestions. The creation account can impact your life in this simple way. Stop looking at people around you as accidents. As speed bumps. As annoyances. It's a conversation that you didn't want to have today, you didn't anticipate to have today, and now here you're having it. Stop viewing people as things that only give you, give you happiness and joy. But begin to look at those around you who are made in God's image, who are in need of being loved and valued. 
and need to know their creator. It's a simple takeaway. So I wrestle through that very question. Please don't think I don't think through these things myself as I consider what this says. For me, what am I missing? Honestly, most days, I'm missing the fact that that I am not the all-powerful creator. I forget that all the time. I forget that, that God alone is. And that I'm living on his earth. Often I want to think God's in my world. I'm in his. And people have value around me. So what can I do about it? What's my action step? Like, what can I do with that? Humble myself before God. Continue to trust in him. Continue to trust in what he's declared about myself and those around me and their need to know him. So what are you missing today? I really would just encourage you to stop and consider the reality the God who created you loves you enough to send his son for you. And in Christ you are forgiven and in so your relationship is restored. We don't have to miss God from our lives. We simply, I think, often just need to invite him in to be part of it. And we, sometimes we feel like God is just so distant from us. I, I think God is right. Man, he's waiting, 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 waiting. Invite him in. Invite him to be present. Walk in that life with him. And then just marvel at the same God who created the stars that you'll see at night. Created you. And loved you enough to send his son for you. Let's pray. God, would you just give us wisdom of how to process this through? These days of creation, certainly thousands of years ago, But God, it can teach us so much about our lives today, how we're living them, your love for us, your purpose, your design for us, created in your image to bring you glory is our purpose. So Father, would you just help us ask that question, what are we missing in our lives? And then give you access to answer that question. In your name, amen.